just had kind of a disturbing revelation. It's disturbing not because it's bad, but it's disturbing because the implications of it. So, like, there's literally nothing wrong in my life right now. Like, there's just nothing wrong. Like, you know, I have hassles and I have delays and I have, you know, I have to take a plane. I don't fly first class. I guess you could say that's that's something wrong. I don't have a private jet. But even that, you know, it's like we have a row of three to ourselves, pay for it with airline miles. Like, there's nothing wrong in my life. Like, everything's fine. Knock on wood. You know, I mean, things can change quickly, but... There is nothing to bitch about in my life personally. Like I don't want for anything. I was doing a uh, Real Man Sports podcast with Alan Seslowski a couple weeks ago, and he asked me, you know, have you bought yourself something with the money from the Rotowire sale? And I was like, no, not really. And I just I buy clothes here and there, you know, drop 500 bucks at the uh, outlet mall, get stuff that's on sale occasionally we'll go out to dinner when i'm in la like i'm spending money right i go to air one which is a ridiculous market and spend 17 bucks don't tell heather this but on the uh the raw cream i just first of all raw cream it's like it's not code for anything by the way but it's just the most nutritious tasty thing i had blueberries with it this morning and it's 17 bucks unpasteurized grass-fed you know i don't know you know air one is the is the market where it's like, it's, it's embarrassing. It makes Whole Foods seem cheap. It's like, Heather thinks it's a scam. It probably is, but the raw cream is legit. And so, you know, I spent money on that, 17 bucks. The ice cream here is expensive. We got, buy ice cream, it's like, you know, 25 bucks for three of us. 29 bucks the other day, actually. So everything's just expensive here. But in terms of like buying myself something, I never bought myself anything. I invested some money but I didn't buy myself anything. And, you know, I try to live frugally. So I have freedom. If I live, if I lived at this level in LA for a few years, I would have to be more urgently hunting for work. But because I live in Portugal and because I'm frugal, I have more freedom. My life is easier because of it. So I just don't really need anything. I mean, I, I, w I would, if I were like ridiculously rich, fly first class at a minimum and ultimately have, you know, sort of the, take the car to the plane, to the tarmac, just get on the plane and same thing on the other end. I mean, to me, that's the ultimate luxury. And if I had money, that kind of money, I would definitely do that. I wouldn't necessarily need a fancy car. We have a uh, leased Seat Leon that's three years old now. And we're driving the uh, the car of the people whose house we house swapped with. And it's a 2010 Prius. It's actually a really good car. It drives really well. I actually like it. Um, so I don't give a shit. As long as the car works well and doesn't break down, has decent pickup and brakes, uh, I am fine with almost any car. I just don't care. I do like clothing. I will spend some money on it occasionally. But nothing. I'm not going to Prada. I'm not going to uh, fancy shops, really. I just buy nice stuff, usually at a discount. I'll spend more than like the nerds I worked with, Rotowire and stuff, but uh, but I won't buy fancy stuff. Anyway, it was just a, it was kind of disturbing because it's like really all of my problems, all of the things that occupy me and keep me uh, ill at ease, are in my mind. I mean, there's geopolitical stuff that's stressful and and that whole uh, travesty of a couple of years we had where they were trying to force you to take medicine you didn't want and lock you in your house. That was legitimately bad and 
I don't think that's entirely over since we've had no reckoning. You know, the idea that just because you're not being abused right now, just because the abuser isn't abusing you right at this particular moment doesn't mean it's okay and doesn't mean that it's not going to happen again. So I, I think that's a real problem, but it's not a problem for me right now. There's nothing I'm do Well, I am doing about it. I'm trying to make sure that I set myself up in the way I can to avoid it. Unfortunately, these houses in Portugal are taking forever, but you know, that's the kind of shit I can't control. And in this present moment, the anxiety over what if this happens again, you know, what if the other last podcast I had, it was tub of butter. I'd eaten too much, uh, too much THC in the butter. And I was in the car and I, and I was sure we were going to get into a car accident. And I was just feeling this fear and I was sitting back there and I had to just realize like, I have to just let go. Like I could die at any minute. You can get into a car accident any minute. You can die. You can have a heart attack at any minute, especially if you took the MRNA shot and you just have to let go because you will die at some point and it will be a minute. And hopefully it's a minute when you're a hundred, but it might not be anything can happen at any minute. And that fear is, is not adding to your well-being because you can't, you, you really can't avoid that. You can't avoid the possibility of imminent catastrophe at any minute. You can't know for sure. You can't have perfect control. You're in an airplane or in a car or just walking around. It can happen. And it, there's this sense of holding on paranoia trying to get ahead of it, look around the corners and that's fine. And I, and I, I am, you know, I would almost describe myself as a prepper, not a very good one, but I do think like that. I want to have supplies. I want to have a property. I want to stock it. I do think like that. But even if you did that, you still have a heart attack and die. I mean, I, I'm not saying that to say, don't make prudent preparations. I'm just saying that with respect to the anxiety around it, right? Like you do what you can make the preparations, but realize there's no reason to be anxious about it. No reason to be stressed about it because ultimately that is the nature of existence that you can be killed or die at any second. The worst thing could happen to you at any second and eating too much of that uh, THC butter. It was just like, it just seemed like every second that's, I mean, I ate way, way too much something like that was going to happen. And you can't live like that. I, I know that some people live like that. I think some people have sort of a crippling anxiety where they're almost living, maybe not in that state that I was in, but in a state that's like 70% of that all the time. And it's, you know, they can't face the feelings of fear that are in them. And I just, felt like that day I just had to sit there and just like let it wash over me completely because I couldn't it was too much and that almost all of the problems that we that cause anxiety I'm not saying there aren't actual problems there aren't duties and responsibilities and prudent preparations to make because there are but the anxiety around it the fear is at least right now is, is totally driven by my mind I don't have an imminent thing I'm not about to imminently run out of money I don't need to panic imminently about my financial situation. I don't need to panic imminently about my health or, you know, whatever's coming up. I'm not in a dangerous place right now, at least ostensibly. Who knows? Again, anything can happen. And that all of my problems 
they're they're just they're, it's so obviously a creation of my mind and i think this is the case my whole life right i mean i certainly didn't have any money in my late 20s early 30s and i didn't know what i was going to do for a job and i had a lot of anxiety around that but even then there was never anything imminently happening to me most of the time did some very stupid driving cross country overnight not sleeping pouring rain 100 miles an hour type stupid shit that kids do and that was probably should have been more prudent about that but in terms of the anxiety i had relative to the immediate threats it was not commensurate and you know we just learned to be anxious you know everyone understands that like in a wild environment you had to be paranoid of wild animals and starvation and other murderous tribes and in a western society like you still have all of those instinctive you still have all those instincts but it's directed towards stuff that's more like i could not do well in this exam or i can lose my job or you know all of these things but even at least if you could lose your job you you wouldn't starve to death or die most likely but if you're listening to this podcast probably you wouldn't but you know you could have some serious hardship and i don't even have that imminently so it's interesting you know, you, you sort of, I, I, sometimes I'm loath to let go of all the anxiety and angst because I think, well, if I let go of all this, if I stop worrying about, you know, the collapse of supply chain or the US dollar or the whatever it is, the next lockdowns, the next biomedical totalitarianism power grab, I feel like if I don't worry about that, then I'll lose my edge, then I'll get lazy, then I won't be on high alert. I won't be ahead of it. I won't have a chance to see around the corner before it happens. So I feel like that sometimes, you know, I'll be watching football games and stressing about my fantasy teams and living and dying with them. And I think if I didn't feel this anxious about it, if I didn't feel this competitive and this pissed that I lost in fantasy or that this didn't go well for me, then am I really going to make the moves? Am I really going to study and want to play anymore? Am I going to put so much into it? If I get my ego out of it, am I going to still want to win? Am I going to still have an interest in this? And that's kind of a scary thing. Like this thing that I've done for so long that I get so much, I don't even know if I would call it enjoyment, angst and <laughs> occasional reward, a lot of stress, a lot of work. This thing that I value and that I have so much interest in, at least I can say that. Um, would I lose interest if I lost the, when I lose the edge, if I just sort of were like, well, I did a good job. I prepped. We'll see how it goes. If I were more of a professional, I mean, certainly be a hell of a lot less entertaining. You know, I mean, you got to, if you want to listen to someone on the radio, when I did the XM show, getting fucking pissed when, you know, Jeff and I are watching opening day baseball and, you know, my guy strikes out or has the base loaded and strikes. I mean, that's, you know, people relate to that. But if you are just like, ah, you know, we'll see. It's a long season that sort of equanimity that would I lose the edge? Would it, would it be even worth doing? And so I wonder about that, but that's not a good reason to live your life in a state of a state of anxiety, of heightened anxiety and cortisol and which raises your blood sugar and all that. So just something I think about that, that I don't really have any problems. And yet still I, you know, I'm pissed about these fucking houses in Portugal. I'm pissed about the fucking airline delays. I'm pissed about fucking these bureaucrats fucking making stupid rules. I'm pissed that the people who lock people down and, you know, and terrified all these people, there's still, there's still people in fucking masks here in LA. There's still people walking around 
Um, Sasha's at basketball camp. She told me this one girl played the whole time with a mask on for five hours. I mean, telling their kid to mask and scare the shit out of their kid. This, this girl is tall black girl wearing a mask during the entire thing. It's, it's just sad. You know what happened to that kid? I mean, that's just fucking, in my opinion, child abuse. And, you know, but it came from the TV. So I, I'm, I'm fucking pissed. I, I, I could see myself sometimes being more enlightened and just, just being like, you know, this is just the ignorance of humanity. You know, the Jesus, you know, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. They just don't know. They And, and they know what they do. I mean, they're fucking people up for gain and, you know, not just gain of function, but gain of status. You know, I mean, the gain of status virus is worse than the gain of function virus because everybody wants to gain status and they will do what they need to do and believe what they need to believe mostly for status. And this wreaks all kinds of catastrophic consequences. But I think when the, when Jesus says, forgive them father for they know not what they do, he's not saying they don't know that they're causing harm or they don't know that they're selling people out because of their professional incentives. They may not consciously know that exactly, but they know, they know, but what he's saying, I think, if you want to be generous, is they don't know that that is the road to hell. I think that's what he means, that they don't know. They know that they're fucking these people over for personal and professional gain, from social and professional convenience and accolades and personal reward. They know. They fucking know. They do. They've been trained to do that. They've been trained to succeed conventionally. And they know, but I think what it means is they just don't know how fucking stupid that really is, how off base that is for a human being. I wrote a piece on this and I'm just editing it right now and waiting to publish, but um, about cynicism and people have called me cynical and cynical. There is a definition of cynical that means negative. And obviously some of the things I say are negative, but that's not what cynical means to me. Cynical doesn't just mean negative. It means more like faithless. Like you're so negative about humanity. You've lost so much faith that you just think everybody's going to fuck you over. Everybody's a scammer that basically you should do what you can to benefit yourself socially and professionally, no matter what, because there's nothing else there. It's sort of nihilism is what I kind of see when I think of cynicism. It's like you've sort of given up on human nature. And I actually, in that respect, I am extremely not cynical. Like I actually have a lot of faith, not a religious faith as traditionally understood, but a, a faith in sort of a different kind of religion where I have a deep faith that knowing what's true and trying to do what's right, and I'll get into what, what that means, is the best thing for a human being, that I'm not nihilistic. I, I don't think that laughing your ass off at people as you get the money and you get the cool experiences while they suffer and you just think suckers, you know, they st they're still believing in this bullshit. Uh, I don't think that could possibly be a fulfilling life, even though, you know, on the surface it might look good. I don't, I don't think if you're a bullshit artist, a sophist, somebody who gets rewarded for mediocrity because you've sort of wormed your way in politically, that that could be a satisfying life for a human being, that a human being must be as enlightened as possible. And again, I'm not sure enlightenment is freedom from anxiety or 
fuck you. I'm anxious. I'm angry. I'm going to say it. I don't know which, I don't know where the balance is there exactly that, you know, that, that it's necessarily my role or my sort of true nature to be zenned out necessarily, you know, that maybe this, maybe being pissed is my enlightenment to some extent, or maybe it's not, maybe that's just, um, cause it feels good to be pissed for me, but I could go deeper. I I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not opining on that right now. I think that's a fair question, but I, but I am, I do have a lot of faith that whatever enlightenment is, it has to do with the truth and it has to do with doing the right thing. And that if you are a scumbag, no matter how successful you are, you are living a foolish life. And that's why I interpret that, forgive them father for they know not what they do as no, no, no. It's not that they don't understand that they're fucking people over. They do. It's that they don't know that that is such a fucking grave mistake and such a waste of a human life. And they probably don't understand the karmic repercussions because it's not like karma, like the lightning bolt's going to hit you. It's karma. Like this is the person you've become. And if, you know, the Buddhist and Hindu cosmology is correct and there's reincarnation or if they're, you know, the Christian one is afterlife, they're fucked beyond for who knows how long. And even if it's, you know, back into the dirt and you really do completely have no sort of causality after you die, there's nothing that's really uh, continuing, which no one really knows. But even if it's that, then the person you become in your life is joyless, even if you outwardly, you know, seem to be having a good time. And so, you know, whether or not it's afterlife reincarnation or just death, um, either way, uh, you've cheapened the human experience. You've become, um, you've lived a worthless life, even though, again, from the outside, people might be jealous of it. So I have a deep faith in that. And when I say doing what's right, I mean, I don't mean like being a do-gooder and putting your name on a hospital wing and running a charity and saving the children or some bullshit. I, I don't mean it like that. I mean, actually like taking care of your health, taking care of your family, taking care of your responsibilities, duties, um, doing the things that you find important. I mean, that, that, you know, doing the right thing, that's, you know, not being a scumbag, not doing something that, you know, is kind of compromising who you are and no one's perfect, but, but I, you know, to the extent that you can do what's right, figure out what's true. I think that is, uh, that's something I have deep faith is the right way to go. So I have a, I am not cynical at all with respect to that. I really think there is a huge difference between, I, I really believe that humans have a certain kind of life they have to lead that is not the, the, you don't really ever get away with not being a good person. And again, when, when the forgive them father for the, know what, not what they do, I, I think you could look at it as these people don't have faith. They're cynical. They don't have this fortunate uh, belief that, that, that enables them to have a chance to have a real life. And so even if they're doing horrible things on purpose, even if they're destroying the things you love, the people that you love, innocent people, instead of hating them and being anxious, what they're going to do next, you look at them more like an earthquake or a tornado or whatever, you still take precautions against it, whatever you need to. And, you know, if, if it comes to a fight, it's a fight, but you're not getting enraged and anxious about it. You're just like, okay, I'm going to take the precautions I need to take, but, and take care of myself and my family. So that would be a very different way of looking at it than being pissed which is how I look at it. And I'm like, fuck you. You know, you know better. And I know you know better. And, I, and I'm, I'm more like, you know, they're not just ignorant, they're willfully ignorant. And I, I think I mentioned this before. I read this book uh, when I was a kid by this psychologist, M. Scott Peck, and he defined evil 
as militant ignorance. And I see evil. I see militant ignorance. But the question, Jesus didn't say, forgive only the good ones because they don't know what they do or forgive only the misguided. He just said, forgive them for they don't know what they do. I don't really know the Bible that well. So maybe there's some context I'm missing. But it seems to me that like it's not that they don't know the facts. It's that they know the facts. They just don't know how badly they're fucking up. And so, you know, I've thought about it. I've thought about it. I don't know if I'm there. I don't know if I would forgive them, but I'm definitely not cynical. And I've, I've been called cynical because, you know, I do, I do say things that are sometimes negative, but I think cynicism is, is deeper. And I think cynicism is when you, for example, like when you rail against, you know, not accepting the democratic will of the people and trying to overturn an election. And then, you know, when your side loses an election, you're, urging the electors to overturn it. And that's what happened in 2016. You have all these, uh, and people just forget this. They just don't remember that you, there's a, there's a great thread by this guy, Ken Koa, the great. And he chronicles like all of these liberal outlets, like urging the electors to do the right thing and not certify the election for Trump 2016. And then, you know, obviously Trump did not accept the results alleged there was cheating. And then that was, you know, undermining election integrity. And it's just, Again, that's just one very small example. There's a million examples of hypocrisy between uh, bodily autonomy is so important, and then you know mandating the, the mRNA shot <laughs> on, on pregnant women, on on workers, and and, and you know, and, and then all, where did bodily autonomy go then? And and there's a million, there's a million examples. Like if it's for my political tribe, then this principle is so important. But if it's not, then you have to do it for the greater good. And you know, this is to me, this is real cynicism right this is this is where principles aren't even a thing that you you know there's just something that you and and that's fine i mean it'd be one thing if you just didn't invoke principles but I, i'm reminded of the scene in the wire where omar uh is on this witness stand and the lawyer is saying you know what a parasite he is and how harmful it is to society and he turns it around and he says well you know i use the gun but use the briefcase and you're a parasite also and in one way omar is cynical right he's saying i uh, it's all in the game. I'm playing a game. You're playing a game. It's just a game. That's very cynical. But in a way, the lawyer is more cynical because Omar is aware of it. And to be aware that this is a game means he could at least conceive of a non-game way of living a, an ethical life. And I think there are aspects of him, at least in the show, it's fiction, obviously, where he did have some sort of you know code, whereas the lawyer is not even aware that at least in that scene that that this is just a game and you're playing it just like he is. And that's even more cynical where you've, you know, you just, you'll say anything, you'll morally grandstand about shit. But when the shoe's on the other foot, you're like, what? I don't, I don't know. You know, Hunter Biden, there's this whole thing about Trump colluding with Russia it turned out to be false, but if it were true, it would have been a big deal. And now you have, you know, Biden implicated in these payoffs from foreign countries and and nobody cares they're not interested in it anymore it was such a big deal then but it's not and, and it's not politics i mean i don't even want to talk about democrat versus republican that shit's basically a facade anyway most of it's just the uh military medical industrial complex and banking and banking cartels that run the show this is just an illusion but you know i'm just saying that these people don't have principles they invoke democracy the death of democracy but they don't give a fuck about democracy you know, so so they don't really think that these these words really mean anything. It's just something to get a reaction. It's just something to use as a means to a to the greater good, to the the agenda they want to achieve. And that's deeply cynical, not to have a code, not to have principles. And I'll give you another one. There's this guy Udi Wertheimer. He's a guy in sort of the the crypto space. Crypto is like 
the wackest thing ever. I mean, when people say crypto, I'm like, okay, you don't know, right? It's either it's Bitcoin and there's a bunch of shit that uses cryptography and blockchains that it's mostly a scam. I think there's probably, they may end up being one that does something. I don't know. But in any event, this guy's kind of in the space and he's recommended some shady stuff and people call him a scammer. I haven't really looked into it closely enough to, to know for sure. But, you know, he got into this debate with somebody who was saying, and this is kind of a well-trod territory that, you know, that money, whether it has inherent properties like gold is durable, right? If you had apples as money, that would be bad because they would spoil. Or if you had seashells as money, that would be, they're durable, but they're not scarce. So gold is durable and scarce. And so it has some properties that make it a good money so that if you accept gold for the goods and services that you provide, there's a good chance that that money is going to be taken by other people. You know, there's the expression, good as gold, gold works as money. And so he was talking about this in contrast to the idea that money is just a story. And so if we all agree on a shared story, then anything can be money. So we could, if we all agree that it's seashells, then seashells are money. Obviously, this is going to be a problem for people who are walking on the shore and inflate the shit out of the uh, money supply. And you know, this is this is this is a problem. You know, the Native Americans that traded beads to uh, the Dutch for Manhattan, um, that was a, that turned out to be a bad money. And even though maybe among themselves those beads were scarce and it was a good story, it turned out to be a very bad story in the end. And so the idea that Udi Wertheimer tweeted out, storytelling is all that matters, basically the story. And I've heard this before. I've heard this from people like, oh, if you're pitching a product, the story is everything. You got to tell a good story. And I'm not against marketing. It may be necessary. But you know, if the story doesn't correspond to reality, that's called fraud, right? Like this story is not everything. The story has to match up with the reality. If I tell you this is an amazing car, it's only got 50,000 miles. It was driven by an old lady up and down the suburban block, it's in great shape. And then you get into it and it's actually got 200,000 miles and I rolled back the odometer and it was driven by some 20 year old frat boys. You know, this is, this is called fraud. And so just the idea, but, but if you're a scammer the mindset you want to have is it's all story. It's all just a story. It's all about, you know, telling the right story. If you're left holding the bag, well, you know, that's just, that's too bad, but it's just, it's just a story. It could, you could have got lucky. The story could have stuck. It could have stuck for longer. Dogecoin could have gone to the moon. You know, who knows? It's just a story. There's no inherent properties. You know, Bitcoin's scarce. It's auditable. It's uncensorable. It's decentralized. I mean, there's these actual properties of this, of this technology that make it really good as a money. It works. And just something else that copies that doesn't have the decentralization, doesn't have the auditability, doesn't have the finite supply, is doesn't have the scarcity, is not going to just another story. Hey, I can sell you this one. It works faster, cheaper to send these kind of things. I can tell any kind of story as a VC pushing my shit coin, but the story is not everything. It has to correspond to reality. But, but if you were a scammer telling yourself the story that the story is everything <laughs> is a really good strategy to sleep at night, right? Because it's just sort of like, Hey, who knows? Anything could win. So anything I'm selling is just as good as anything else because it could have won. If it didn't win, it's too bad. It's unfortunate, but someone's going to win. Someone's going to lose. You know, I'm just a cog in the machine. I'm just selling the story. And, and maybe if uh, more people sold the story and agree with it like me, it would have taken off. That's called a Ponzi scheme. It's fraud, but it's also a Ponzi. If you can keep the story going long enough, but there's no underlying reality, that's a Ponzi scheme. And in fact, the fiat system, the current monetary system could be looked at that way. The story of the dollar, it's no longer backed by gold. It was quasi backed with oil, but not really. And they can print indefinitely. 
And if and when it goes bad, oh, you know, it's uh, went on for a long time. That story was a successful story. But things that have underlying properties, things that have correspondence to reality, I think that's what's important. And the thing is, this, a story can't, you know, the Bitcoin and what I say and the narrative that I'm offering about it on this podcast or past podcasts, that is also a story. But hopefully it points to a reality. A story can't, it's never going to be reality. There's the concept, right? The story, the thing, the, the narrative, and then there's the reality. Those can never be the same thing. There's the real world, there's the map of the real world. But a good story may point you in a good direction. A good map may help you navigate the real world. It's not going to be a substitute for, navi for navigating on foot, but it can help. So Udi Wertheimer to me is cynical. He's fucking cynical because he is just like everything's a story. There's, there's no reality. There's no correspondence. There's no such thing as fraud because had that story, you know, about Dogecoin or whatever the fuck it is, whatever you're trying to sell stuck, then people would have made money at least, you know, for longer, for as long as the story held. So anyway, that's just uh, something I'm working on about cynicism. The other thing, the other kind of big thing that I've been looking at the last week or so is, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. kind of stepped in it because he said that the that COVID affected people of Chinese descent and Ashkenazi Jews less than it affected white people and black people, for example. And it's possible it was engineered to do so. And everybody jumped on his throat, you know, saying, oh, that's anti-Semitic, you know, oh, the Jews, blah, blah, blah. But he didn't say the Jews engineered it. He didn't say it was engineered by some Jews to kill everybody but the Jews. He didn't say that. He just said that there was a paper out that showed that COVID affected certain people genetically, racially worse, certain people not as bad, and identified two groups that he believed from the paper were not as badly affected. Now, I don't really want to get into the politics of it because that's not really interesting to me. I mean, someone else can go to another podcast to analyze sort of the horse race aspect of it where it's like, well, he shouldn't have said that. That was dumb. That's going to cost him or that was an attack vector for the media to jump on him and call him anti-Semitic. That's, that's the dull part. I think the more interesting part is the actual claims itself and sort of the, the idea that is this, is this true? And it, it strikes me as far-fetched because I'm going down this other rabbit hole where I'm almost thinking that like the whole virus was a psyop. Maybe it existed. Maybe they created something that could be tested for and, and, People got regular respiratory illnesses, tested positive. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm sort of going down a rabbit hole where I'm even questioning like how serious COVID was at all. You know, how much of the pandemic was sort of a information pandemic and then iatrogenic uh, excess deaths from the vaccine, from the ventilation, from not prescribing antibiotics for respiratory vi viruses. I covered that in the last podcast. And so, uh, you know, to me, the idea that, oh, you know, to get down this in a completely different direction of, not only was it serious, but it was serious, particularly serious. So I, don't, I actually don't think this is a really big issue. But to the extent, let's concede that COVID was a deadly new pathogen, that the pandemic, even if it was, there was a gigantic overreaction, that there was something there, probably not a pandemic, probably a new respiratory illness. It seems likely to me that something like that might affect people of different genetic makeup differently, people of different races differently. You know, certain foods certainly uh, impact people of different races differently. I think, you know, Native Americans are even more destroyed by the standard American diet than 
say a white person would be. I think that's just normal that people with one set of genes will react one way to a certain set of stressors or stimuli and people with different genes will react differently. I don't think that's controversial. I think that the controversial part was that it was designed to do so and naming the particular groups because I don't know what the evidence is that it affected Ashkenazi Jews less. I'm not sure, but it's certainly possible, right? And and it's certainly possible they would try to do something like that. Now, could they succeed? Do they have te the technology to do so? I'm dubious. But the point is, isn't all this. I don't really, actually, I, I don't care whether it's politically stupid or not. And I don't really care whether it was actually true. It seems a bit far-fetched, but it doesn't seem crazy. It seems, you know, within the realm of something that could have happened or might have been planned. But it was the reaction to this that, and it's not just this, this is probably his most far-fetched thing that he said that I've read. But there are a lot of accounts on Twitter that I think are very sensible, that I like, that make great points often. And one of them is this guy, Daniel Hadas, Hadas, I don't know how to say his last name, H-A-D-A-S. And I follow him and I think he's a, he's a great follow. But he said, RFK's talk about ethnically targeted viruses is comic book nonsense. Such targeting may not even be theoretically possible. And certainly the knowledge required to accomplish it does not currently exist. Now, he goes on in the thread to say, but even if that's so, it's ridiculous all these people pro-clutching because look at all the shit they were wrong about. So they should basically just shut the fuck up. It's hard to stomach all this. So he's, he's not even dinging. He's not even against RFK. But it was just that he's so certain that it's comic book nonsense and that, that it may not be theoretically possible. Well, you can't say it may not be theoretically because it may not means may, right? It may or may not. And if it may or may not, that's theoretically. So it is theoretically possible. And we don't know for certain that the knowledge to uh, genetically target certain people with the virus, certain races with the virus doesn't exist. How do we know that for sure? We don't know. We don't know. I mean, there are so many things that seem so ridiculous that we would fund gain-of-function research in a Chinese lab, that we'd have bio labs in Ukraine that are now just facts. These are just admitted facts, reported facts. Why are people acting like this is so crazy? And again, this, this claim to me is, is the most far-fetched of his claims, but there's another account that I follow. I don't follow her, but woman who has a bunch of followers and seems like a legitimate smart person says she says i don't even remember the the url but she said i just pasted the tweet in my notes but yes the guardrails were in fact made to try and slow the spread of dis and misinformation rfk who is also a conspiracist and then in parentheses albeit a rather nice and moral one promotes a lot of misinfo so it is natural that there would be some attempt to mediate this the china remark is unhinged and i don't remember that was some other remark, some, do something else. And then even uh, Alex Berenson basically, again, doesn't dislike RFK, but called, he says about uh, RFK, he says, I like RFK Jr. He is sincere and passionate. This is Alex Berenson. He's also wrong about a lot and too conspiratorial. But the reason so many people are listening to him is they have seen firsthand lockdowns and COVID jabs failed and the media and governments are lying about that failure. Okay. So Alex Berenson, who was called a conspiracy theorist by thousands of people and then turned out to be totally right, despite being accused of being a conspiracy theorist, is now turning that trope on RFK because there's some things that RFK says that he doesn't think are true. And that is just, what is he trying to reposition himself to be the voice of reason suddenly after being called a conspiracist? I mean, think about this. The better way to put this is, oh, RFK claims X, Y, and Z. 
I'm not persuaded yet by that. I'd need to see a lot more evidence before I'd agree with him. That would be a way of disagreeing with them saying, I don't see the evidence for that. He's claiming this rather than acting like I know what he's saying is total bullshit. And he's a conspiracist when that was exactly the attitude that the normies had toward you. I mean, can't you see that you're adopting the same bullshit, all knowing frame that these people, I mean, I had, I don't know. I can't even tell you how many people told me it's the science with certainty. Science says, get the vaccine and end the pandemic, stop the spread. The science tells us that this is completely safe. I mean, all the shit, the science tells us that it came from the wet market. It, it, the lab leaks a conspiracy theory. How many times I heard that shit with total smug certainty, like the shit that I was saying was ridiculous, didn't even merit consideration. And I'm a conspiracy theorist. And now they're turning this exact trope, this faulty line of reasoning. So it's a bit hard to take, not just, not just you know what they even say, which is that the same people that are been wrong about everything or clutching their pearls, but also that but they themselves are adding to the trope. They're not just acknowledging, well, maybe I don't see the evidence for this. We don't know. Or even if you think you know, or even if you're pretty sure, you could say, I disagree with this. But the idea that he's a conspiracist, I think that's just, uh, it's just feeding into the exact thing that you yourself dealt with for so long. So it's been a bit annoying. I went back and forth with him on Twitter had an exchange for the most part. Just a couple other things. I got to wrap this up soon. I saw a funny tweet. Steve Bannon was uh, stumping for Trump and he, he vowed that Trump would declassify the JFK assassination files and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and all the things that the uh, government was up to and what they know about it. And he's going to do it the day he's elected. And I saw this and I thought the exact same thing. Like, well, why didn't he have four years to do it? That stuff was all classified then. Talk is cheap. Like he had the chance to do it. Why would we believe that he would do it? Of course, he's not going to do it if he gets elected. Of course, he's not going to declassify that stuff. He easily could have done it. What's going to change next time if he got elected that he didn't, it wasn't the case for four years. So I don't know. Steve Bannon just, he's almost like, I, I don't really follow him very much, but it's almost like he's a double agent of some sort. I don't know. There's something about him that's extremely off-putting to me. That that statement was one of the it was, it was par for the course. And then the last idea I had just occurred to me. It's almost like so I, I mentioned uh, Jessica Hockett. I've been following her work, and she basically thinks that the pandemic wasn't really anything. It was. I don't know if she would go so far as to say that there was no virus, but between you know, the excess deaths basically being caused by non-treatment of bacterial pneumonia in ventilation and maybe uh, putting those seniors back in the nursing homes and really concentrated in a couple of cities and not a lot of major excess death overall in 2020 besides those cities. And then the PCR test, Kerry Mullis was the guy who invented the PCR test. He died right before COVID started, which is just a weird coincidence, but maybe just a coincidence. And he said, Fauci doesn't know what he's doing. The PCR test should not be used to diagnose diseases. And that, and then everybody pointed out that they cycled the PCR. I guess that means they kind of swish it around to find viral particles in it. The more you cycle it, the more stuff comes up in the test. And they use too many cycles, meaning you could find basically anything in anybody's sample if you cycle it enough. And it's kind of like you can indict a ham sandwich. You know, you, you can indict anybody 
You can prosecute anybody if you look deep enough. It's kind of the PCR test was indicting a ham sandwich. And so that this pandemic, you know, her thesis, and I'm probably not getting exactly, was that, you know, it was basically a, a pandemic of, of the response to it, an information pandemic of sorts. And, you know, pandemic of deceit more than, than a virus. And, and I, f- I find that increasingly plausible. The other thing that I find plausible that fits in with that, which otherwise two things, which really would have made no sense in the context is I was always arguing for the lab, like it leaked from a lab, it leaked from a lab, but obviously from a lab, it, zoonotic thing was bad. And I feel like I'm vindicated. Everybody knows it leaked from a lab now, um, except the religious zealots that that's not part of their uh, scripture. But then some of these people are saying, well, they, that's really not the thing to focus on because if the whole thing was a psyop to transfer money and gain more control over society, then that's exactly the debate they would want you to have because if it leaked from a lab, that's even scarier than if it was zoonotic, right? It means it's this dangerous gain-of-function pathogen that they're working on. And so if it went from the lab, that, that's like, oh, that's really scary. If that's what you're focused on, and you feel like you're getting some accountability, like, oh, we got them. They lied about that. You know, that's, that's A, like perpetuating the PSYOP to an extent because it making you think this big, important thing happened if the real PSYOP was control and transfer of money. So, that, so that's one thing. But the two other things that kind of struck me is one, that Event 201, I don't know if you know about that, but Bill Gates did this Event 201, this pandemic simulation like a month before it happened. And that just seems a little too on the nose. Like, oh, you're going to do it a month before it happens, then it happens. And we're like, oh, see, they already knew it was happening. They did it. They planned it. You could tell they did the simulation on it. That simulation, I think, would have been much more secret, much less public if they were really creating a virus that killed people in the lab, right? If it was creating, if they wanted to create the idea that they created a virus that killed people, then they would make that public. And you'd be like, oh, here's the villain. Here here are the bad guys creating this. So that's another thing that, that that was so accessible early on it's just a fact people are like that's a conspiracy theory they didn't create the they didn't do a simulation yeah they did that's that's just like a matter of public record i think you can even watch some of uh, event 201 i think i think it was either that one or, or now maybe i was watching it earlier i think you can watch it but if not you can watch earlier simulations of pandemics but secondly the fact that fauci and the other uh the other nih uh scientists were going back and forth in email just talking about how it was probably a lab leak and not to talk about it, whatever, or not to, you know, to, let's, let's not emphasize that. De- let's de-emphasize that. Um, why would they do that over email? And it's 2019, 2020. It's not like 2005. I mean, they knew their emails would be eventually FOIA'd, right? They, they would, they were going to get exposed eventually. So it seems like they're doing this over email Event 201 is just this public thing that everybody knows about. And then in like April or May of 2020, Newsweek reported on the gain of function that the NIH, that Fauci's division of the NIH, um, invested money in gain of function research at the Wuhan lab on coronavirus. So this is reported in Newsweek and all the crazies were denying it. I remember I posted that saying, this is shocking. This is true. The liability is beyond measure. And all these people like denying it and arguing with me, they would never do that. It's not substantial. And, but again, it was, it was all true. None of that's been uh, refuted or uh, disavowed that reporting. So all this stuff is like right out in the open right away. And at first you're like, we busted them. We got it. Fauci did this. They created this virus. They caused all this damage. They killed all these people. But it just seems like if they were really 
creating a deadly virus. Like they would not be so open about it. It just seems like, but if they, but if they were creating a panic, if, if the object was panic and control instead of actually killing people, then they would want to be open about it. They'd want you to think nefarious things were afoot with respect to virus creation, evil masterminds and all this kind of thing. So it, it does explain like how out in the open it is. Uh, and I almost had this idea that like, you know, Fauci and Gates in 10 years, they'll take a bow, you know, they'll, they'll, they'd be like, yeah, you know, we were just, it was never really a virus. It was, it was something we needed because climate change or whatever the next thing is, you know, we, we just felt like we needed to put some measures in place and climate change is such a slow motion thing that we couldn't, we weren't getting any traction with all the measures This was to save humanity. So we went through this kind of fire drill. It was kind of a drill. You know, the whole thing was a vaccine of sorts. They love the, that kind of terminology for the real pathogen, which is climate change. We had to get people able to be digitally tracked and obedient and all these things. Otherwise we'd never conquer climate change. And so we all did our part and, you know, I regret, you know, any, any negative things that happened from it, but um, the virus really didn't kill anybody. We didn't create anything deadly. Obviously some people who were older died of, you know, regular respiratory illnesses. And I can see them all kind of taking a bow and sort of being like, yeah, we acted out this play for the benefit of you. Now this, that would be sort of the psyop within the psyop, the, the, the short con within the long con, because the other one is, uh, is far bigger, but something like that, even Donald Trump taking a bow for his role in the whole thing. Yeah. I was kind of the guy I was the outsider and they had me come in and get all this hate stirred up and, you know, and, 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 and make it a thing. But I put Fauci in charge, you know, we did the whole thing and it was for the benefit of humanity. And, I really wanted to make an impact in the world. I could just like almost see it as like a play. I'm not saying that's actually the case. I know that probably sounds pretty paranoid, but um, it's almost like something's not adding up exactly like how out in the open it is and nobody's prosecuting anybody. And, you know, I mean, and maybe it's just what it is on its face. Maybe there's just, you know, it's sort of the end stage of uh, this particular type of, you know, the, the U S empire. And there's all this, grabbing and looting and they're not going to prosecute Hunter Biden for clear crimes. They're going to cover that up and they're going to siphon off money to Pfizer and they're going to create a fake proxy war in Ukraine. They're going to create this proxy war in Ukraine wherein we give Ukraine all this money, but they're not really getting much money. They're just overcharging for all the weapons. They're getting, you know, 10 cents on the dollar for the weapons they're ordering and we're enriching uh, the military industrial complex. And it's sort of this cash grab, grab everything, you know, before the lights go out grab everything before the, uh, well, the, well, the getting is good still. And this is just, th that's why it's that bad. That's why it's so sloppy. There's, they're not even competent anymore. They don't even care. They're not even pretending anymore. So that's maybe a more plausible explanation, but, but the other one that is, that the whole thing is kind of fake is, uh, striking me as increasingly plausible. Anyway, this one's gone on long enough. I got to get ready for my, uh, beat Chris list two NFL draft till next time.